Hello and good evening ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the second episode of season 1 of Tech Talk 101 powered by Epcot Labs. So today also we have an interesting personality to uh, speak about his research that he is doing currently uh, in the University of New South Wales in Australia and also for our undergraduate crowd this would be an opportunity for you to uh, get an understanding about what are the things that you need to do in order to uh, find an higher studies op- uh, opportunity in Australia. So for the first episode that we had we uh, had a quite good uh, feedback from you guys for the people people who did not who could not join us with the first episode and who are watching this for the first time uh, i would like to mention a bit about what this tech talk 101 uh, is so uh, this is an initiative brought to you by fcode labs where uh, we bring to you the uh, future developments in the uh, in uh, in research and development in this uh, industry in terms of technology and also the current implementations of technology by the industries that are happening currently and also how these future developments in research and development and also the current implementations in technology uh, will help to take this world to a technology led development so uh, having said that uh, we will uh, move into uh, today's podcast and today we have a interesting personality like i said He is currently re- reading for his PhD in computer science engineering in the University of New South Wales of Australia and he was a former software engineer at Codegen Private Limited and he is also a former graduate from the Faculty of Engineering of University of Morocco coming from the Department of Electronic and Telecommunications Engineering and he was also a former intern at Effective Solutions Private Limited so please welcome Mr Ishan Karnanayak Hello Mr Ishan how are you doing Hi Pama I'm uh, I'm good thank you uh, and uh, thank you very much for inviting me uh, to this um, session as well Yes so uh, how are you doing these days how is your life in Australia these days happening with the uh, pandemic and your university work how are you coping with things uh, well these days um, I'm mostly focused uh, on my research and other than that sometimes I uh, hang out with some friends that I've made here and uh, i would say that's um, that's about it like the, the, that's what i'm uh, mostly doing these days um and yeah uh, when i have some free time i uh, sometimes uh, watch a movie or go and see a, a go out uh, and have some food uh, things like that yeah that's great so yes So uh Mr Ishan Karnanayak is the uh, person that we have today and we will be speaking a lot about his research in early detection of botnets that use privacy preservation techniques the research that he is carrying out for his PhD but before rolling uh, into uh, to speak in detail about his research uh, let's speak with him and get a little more understanding about his background about his academic background and uh, uh, how has he come to this stage uh, going through the from the from the previous experiences that he have had So uh yes uh, we know for a fact that you are from we are a graduate from the faculty of engineering of Morotour university of Morotour and uh, can you tell us a bit more about your uh, academic background uh, where your school is and how did you uh, get into the faculty of engineering of university of Morotour and then proce- how did you proceed from there to move into university of new south wales uh okay pama so uh, i am uh from uh, Mathura in Sri Lanka and uh, I studied at Rahula College Mathura from grade 1 to grade 13 and then uh, uh after my A levels I was selected to the University of Morotour and then there we had this um, exam where we had to select a field of uh, specialization 
and there I um, selected electronics and telecommunication. Uh, but um, at the time, like I was not really aware of what I really wanted to do. Uh, so later on, I kind of um, shifted into software engineering work. And uh, after graduating, I uh, I got a job as a software engineer uh, at Cogen International. Um, uh, then, uh, after a couple of uh, years, um, due to uh, due to several reasons, I started thinking about uh, higher studies, uh, and um, then I started applying uh, to a couple of universities here uh, in Australia, and um, uh, I also wrote to a few professors uh, in some of the fields that I was interested, and uh, luckily I I got. Two of us. One was from University of Melbourne, um, and the other was uh, from uh, the University of New South Wales. And uh, yeah, uh, considering a few factors, I finally uh, decided uh, to uh, do my PhD at University of New South Wales. And uh, here I am. Okay, so it's very uh, interesting that to hear that you have got uh, not just one but a few of us, uh, many of us from. Uh, University, so I believe it will be you'll be some interesting person for our undergraduate listeners to speak with and get an understanding about how are you going to apply uh, for higher studies opportunities and what you need to do in order to get through these uh, milestones. So, uh, speaking about uh, the research and the field that you are in, which is cyber security. So, uh, how did you uh, move into this field of cyber security, and uh, why did you move into the field of cyber security for your research? Was there any specific reason, or you just capitalize on the exp- uh, opportunity that you got? Uh, I would say it's the latter, uh, because um, as I as I told you, uh, when I when I selected uh, electronics and telecommunication engineering, I I didn't have um, an idea what I I was going going for. Uh, and uh, in my third year, I had this um, mandatory internship, and I joined uh, a software company, and there I uh, started. To become a bit passionate about software engineering. After that, uh, in my final year also, uh, I worked in a lot of uh, software projects, and then I uh, started working as a software engineer. Then, once I started to look for these PhDs, um, I was trying to find a, 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 a scholarship or a, a PhD opportunity in computer science. Um, but for that, I had to select. Uh, a couple of fields that I'm passionate about, and cybersecurity was actually one of them. Uh, and I was also looking for um, other uh, research uh, research areas such as machine learning and um, software engineering, uh, and uh, likewise. But uh, then um, I also got another opportunity, as I told you, from University of Melbourne, but that was kind of in biomedical engineering. Uh, and the reason that I got that opportunity was because, uh, was uh, my final year project uh, was um, a biomedical engineering project. Uh, and then there I, I had to make a decision uh, whether I was going uh, for a biomedical engineering PhD or a software engineering PhD. Uh, and there I decided to go with that. Uh, and it was actually in the area of cybersecurity. Um, I kind of um, had a passion uh, 
or an i would say it was more of an interest uh, while i was an undergraduate uh, but i hadn't done much uh, work uh, or I, i wasn't aware of many things uh, inside the security domain uh, when i applied for that but um, uh, now i'm really interested in that area and uh, i hope i can uh, carry out some important research uh, in this domain that's great to hear about it so uh, yes before moving on to speak about uh, more details about your research let's just speak about how has your experience been in uh, university of new south wales moving into uh, australia and like finding uh, get, getting exposed to the international community and the academics in university of new south wales because i believe that would be a complete uh, different experience from what we have here because you get experts to a lot of uh, academics who are coming into australia and to the university from different parts of the world so have, how has your experience been uh, being in collaborate collaborating with these people and moving forward with your academics there uh yeah so there are actually few differences uh when when i compare my experience here with uh my experience uh, at university of morotwa uh so uh, one of them is the the uh, cultural diversity i would say uh, there like most of uh, my friends most of the students are sri lankans but here uh like there are uh, lots of people from other countries uh, i'm working with people from india pakistan um, bangladesh uh, most south asian people and then there are pe- uh, people from china and also uh, uk uh, scotland like there are like many people who have come, come from different uh, uh, regions of the world and who are doing research here and there are like even in the undergraduate courses there are many students from different uh, different countries uh, so that diversity is um, something that i experienced here uh, which was not uh, there in sri lanka also um, the um, the other main thing uh, is the uh, like the postgraduate uh, experience it it is a uh, completely different uh, to what i experienced as an undergraduate Uh, while i was doing my undergraduate studies uh, uh, we had um, uh, like we we used to know everyone in uh, everyone in our department and many of our seniors we we had a lot of coursework but uh, here in in my phd i don't have much coursework to do uh, so i uh, and especially in the first year i i started the my phd last year so um, in about uh four weeks australia went into lockdown and i had to stay and work uh, in in my room uh and i didn't meet many people all all our um, work all our courses and everything was shifted meetings uh, were shifted online uh and because of this i didn't have a chance to meet many people and uh, i would say the first uh, first few months were a bit uh, lonely and that was uh, and it was very stressful as well um so that was kind of um a different experience for me uh, and uh, and and the other thing is in a, in in a phd you have to um like uh, do everything yourself you have to find the research problem you have to uh, you have to make sure that it's it's uh, it's uh, something that has not been 
tried before, not as something that has not been done before, and uh, you have to come up with a solution to tackle that problem. And you have to, uh, like, before starting to uh, do any experiments, you have to prove that this uh, the the solution you are proposing is feasible. So these are actually really challenging, and uh, it's not similar to uh, what we did as an undergraduate, where we uh, study uh, some modules and write an exam. Uh, yeah, so I would say those are the things that uh, I uh, experienced here in Australia. And uh, after a few months, I I was actually able to travel a bit. Uh, I went once. Uh, to Melbourne a couple of months back and uh, I'm actually located in Sydney and I I had a chance to visit a few places around Sydney uh, when, when, when the COVID situation started to settle uh, settle down in Australia um, yeah and it was like uh, it's uh, it's really different here uh, to live in another country uh, because uh, previously I have uh, traveled to a couple of countries before but I haven't stayed in those countries for more than one week or so. But here, uh, I, I'm, I'm living here and everything is uh, a new experience. Uh, yeah, I would say uh, it's a good experience to have. Great. So uh, you mentioned something about uh, like uh, how uh, the challenges that you had uh, when, you, when you had like how, what, you did, what you needed to do in terms of uh, figuring out the research problem and uh, setting out setting up the background to move forward with the research so we'll be move, uh, speaking about it as well uh, towards the latter part of this podcast so um, now your research in cyber security is uh, about early detection of botnets that uh, use privacy preservation techniques so before uh, moving into uh, speaking in depth about this research could you please uh, tell a bit about uh, what are botnets and what are privacy preservation techniques so that uh, the people who are listening to this podcast would uh, can also it would help also help them to set the background in understanding the scope of this research when you speak about it yes Palmer. Uh, so botnets are actually uh, a network of infected machines by a similar malware, a similar type of malware. And um, we can say uh, these computer viruses and worms and all the other uh, vectors which can infect a computer um, as malware. And uh, there is a person who controls the botnet which we call a botmaster. And this botmaster has access to uh, a command and control server. And the botmaster uses this command and control server uh, to uh, control the botnet. And this bot uh, and these botnets can be used to do uh, various uh, kinds of criminal activities, including uh, attacks, uh, which, can, uh, which can actually uh, execute, uh, we can get uh, many uh, sensitive information from companies and uh, which can be used to do uh, some uh, financial frauds, things like that. And privacy preservation techniques uh, are techniques which helps us to uh, protect our privacy when we use, uh, when we are online. So there are uh, different types of methods such as anonymization and there are cryptographic methods 
and some um, methods called uh, randomization methods. Uh, this kind of methods can be used to uh, uh, protect our privacy uh, yeah, while we are browsing uh, several things on the internet. And uh, in my research, I am um, mostly focused on Tor, uh, which is uh, a famous uh, anonymity network, uh, which, we, uh, which I would say currently the most popular anonymity, tech, uh, anonymity network that there is. Uh, and it actually uh, helps a user to preserve his, um, uh, to uh, hide their IP address or hide their location when they are uh, accessing a website. Uh, I hope that's, uh, that would be sufficient uh, to get some basic idea about what botnets and privacy preservation techniques are. Yes, absolutely. So uh, in your research, uh, how do you correlate uh, the botnets and uh, privacy preservation techniques? As in, uh, what do you do in the research uh, to uh, use use privacy preservation techniques to for the early detection of botnets? Where is your direction headed in this uh, in this context? Okay, so uh, the legal authorities and um, network defenders, uh, the people who are uh, who are always uh, looking for uh, these uh, cyber attacks are uh, always trying to bring down these botnets because uh, they are a huge threat uh, to the online community. And once you identify a botnet, uh, what is usually done is they try to identify the command and control server that I told you about and they, uh, they try to shut, it, uh, shut that down. So that's uh, using that way. Um, it's uh, easier for for a legal entity um, or a network defender to completely shut down a botnet. Uh, but uh, recently, some uh, bot masters have started to use uh, these anonymity networks, such as Tor, and their features to hide the location of these servers, these command and control servers and other components of a botnet, uh, including their communication. Uh, and this has actually made, uh, made it difficult for people uh, in the law enforcement and uh, who, who are in charge of uh, network security to identify and track down these uh, command and control servers and the bot masters uh, who are responsible for them. Uh, so what I'm trying to do in my research is to try to figure out ways uh, which uh, which enable those entities to identify and uh, track down uh, the botnets uh, and the the command and control servers. So that's my main objective of the research. And yeah, it uh, it is uh, usually narrowed down to several. Uh, other sub uh, sub areas. So uh, yeah, initially you mentioned like uh, the effort that you had to put into uh, do the background uh, researchers 
and to identify the background areas uh, that would uh, uh, contribute to this research and uh, how are we going to do the gap analysis. So could you please uh, tell us about uh, a bit more about the challenges that you had to face uh, during the initial stages of the research in terms of identifying the background and doing the gap analysis and like what is the approach uh, that you took uh, on that regard because I believe that would be an important uh, point that uh, that would be helpful for the undergraduate listeners we have here with the podcast so that, that uh, it would help them to go uh, do something better with the researches that they are doing in their respective universities. Okay, uh, yeah, so uh, the literature survey and the identifying a problem to tackle is one of the hardest uh, challenges that you face uh, once you start a PhD. And the reason is, uh, as I told you before, there are few uh, factors asso- associated with that. Uh, you need to find problem then you need to prove that uh, it has not been tackled before then you need to come up with a solution and then uh, you need to say your solution is feasible and this complete thing uh, has to be supported by uh, previous literature Uh, and that is uh, a really challenge for someone who's uh, starting a PhD and in my case, I was uh, a bit lucky because uh, one of my funding agencies uh, already had several milestones set for me. Uh, but still, uh, I had to do a literature survey and based on the things that I found there, I had to change some of those milestones later uh, because some were not feasible and some of them were not relevant. Uh, and uh, Due to reasons like that, I had to do some uh, minor changes uh, with some of the milestones. And uh, most part of your first year would be like reading, um, reading uh, lots of uh, papers that have been published on your area, and you need to get a good background knowledge uh, about what you are going to do. Uh, and if anyone, uh, for for anyone who's uh, starting with the, uh, with the PhD, uh, what I would suggest is to uh, not to worry and just keep uh, reading some papers and trying trying to improve your knowledge. And you will realize uh, once you read a certain amount of paper and once you get some basic background knowledge, then you'll start to see uh, some problems uh, that are available, some gaps that have not been tackled. And then uh, you'll also notice uh, how other researchers have tackled uh, similar problems. And using this knowledge you have gathered, you'll be able to answer those four questions uh, I mentioned at the beginning. Yeah, I would say uh, just you have to like keep pushing forward and uh, improving your knowledge. Yes, that's something very insightful and I believe it would be helpful for all the undergraduate listeners that we have here with the podcast. So, uh, one uh, one more question, like what is the uh, future direction or the way forward in, of the research that you are carrying uh, out right now? Um, well, uh, the best thing would be to uh, come up with a tool or something that can actually detect uh, botnet traces or botnets that 
I use these privacy preserving techniques um, and to go from there uh, and develop maybe a commercial tool that, that can actually be used by the wider community. Uh, but uh, I'm not sure whether that will be possible, but uh, what, what I can do before that is to try and come up with, uh, try and experiment several things uh, and see um, how I can actually uh, find a solution for the problems that uh, I have defined. And then maybe uh, I can try to publish a few papers that would help other researchers to get some uh, knowledge and build up from what I have done. Uh, so that's the um, that's what I am trying to do at the moment. And if everything works well, then uh, the final product would be a, a tool that can be used by, the, uh, especially uh, the law enforcement and uh, network defenders. Perfect. So I wish you all the best uh, in achieving that in the future as well. And there's one more question that I need okay. actually need to add uh, at the end. So uh, now uh, you said that you were uh, specifically trying for some fi to find some opportunities in Australia and you were successful in getting two offers for your PhDs. So uh, would you be able to just tell us a little bit about like what are the steps or the procedures that you need to follow when you are searching for a PhD? Like what do you need to do if you are an uh, undergraduate student or whether if you are a graduate who just passed out? What are the things that they need to uh, do to uh, apply for a PhD? Like, if you could explain it uh, in steps, that would be uh, much more helpful for the listeners of this podcast. Uh, yeah, um, actually, the um, the way you you need to apply for a PhD uh, differs from country to country, and uh, I will give some idea about. Uh, how to find a PhD opportunity in Australia. Um, here, the PhDs are, uh, you can do a PhD uh, uh, in about three to four years. And before uh, you apply for a PhD, you first need to find a supervisor in, in most of the cases. So uh, what you need to do is you need to uh, first uh, find a university that uh, you are uh, you are passionate about uh, where you like to study then then also you need to have an idea about the uh, area that you are going to do your phd in uh, then what you can do is you can go to that uh, go to that university's website and then you can try to find the uh, researchers and academics who are working in that specific area that you are trying to find your PhD in. Um, then uh, what you need to do is, uh, you need to write to those uh, supervisors and uh, you need to write to those researchers and ask whether they are interested in uh, uh, supervising you. Also, it, it is usually important to ask whether they have any uh, funds available to fund your research because uh, it's uh, living in Australia can be a bit ex expensive uh, and uh, you may not be able to uh, like uh, 
fund your whole stay there with uh, all the travel and everything. So it's be always better to have some funding for your PhD. Uh, and um, uh, in Australia, you are allowed to work uh, for several hours uh, per week. Uh, it's usually 20 hours per week uh, and you can do a part-time job. But uh, studying and working would be sometimes difficult and uh, most of the postgraduates uh, are, are coming here with their families sometimes. So uh, it's important to uh, have some money to uh, afford your uh, lifestyle here as well. Uh, so once, uh, if if a supervisor has some fund and if they uh, some funds and if they if they if they are willing to uh, supervise you, they would uh, reply reply to you and they they might have an uh, online interview with you. And if they are happy, then they would uh, encourage you to apply for the PhD. Then what you need to do is you need to go to the university's website and. Uh, you need to uh, fill out some application forms uh, and wait until you get uh, an outcome for that application. And if you are successful, then you can start applying uh, for visa and then start your PhD. So that's uh, that's the normal uh, procedure that I I used to follow uh, when I was looking for PhDs. And there are some uh, minor uh, details that that I can add uh, to anyone who's interested in finding more details. Uh, but I think the, that uh, what I already said would be enough. Thank you very much. That is a very beneficial piece of information for anyone who is looking for uh, looking to apply for their PhDs and in Australia. And I believe uh, that would be very helpful for them to get to know about what they need to do in order to apply for their PhDs in Australia. So now uh, we have come to the end of uh, this episode as well the second episode of season one of uh, Tech Talks 101. So today we had with us Mr. Ishan Karunanayake and we spoke a lot about his research uh, in early detection of uh, botnets that use privacy preservation techniques. And we also spoke about uh, the opportunities available in Australia, about how are you going to apply for a PhD opportunity in Australia. And I believe that would be very useful for all the listeners in uh, like listeners, uh, specifically in the field of cybersecurity and also for the people uh, who are looking forward to apply for their PhDs. So uh, thank you very much, Mr. Shankarnanayake, and we wish you all the best in your PhD read, in the read, in the reading for a PhD and also with your research. And we will we believe that uh, everything that you do there would be successful, and you turn out to be a great uh, game changer in this industry. So uh, okay. thank you, uh, Paul. Uh, thank you very much uh, for inviting me uh, once again, uh, and uh, I hope uh, you can uh, like contribute a lot uh, for the viewers from these kind of activities and I wish you uh, well with this uh, uh, series as well. My pleasure, it has been a great uh, inspiration and my ple a pleasure to have you here with us today. So, uh, so for anyone who uh, is joining with us uh, for the first time today, you could uh, visit our Facebook, uh, YouTube pages to check about the first episode that we had. And uh, this episode will also be uh, published in YouTube and you can listen to these on uh, Apple Podcast, Spotify and Google Podcast as well. So thank you very much and we'll be again seeing you with the next episode of Tech Talks 101. So until then, uh, stay safe, stay healthy and have a good night. 
Thank you very much.